Welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast. Joining me is my companion, my wife, and special correspondent, Ann Adams. Hello, everyone. And we're talking about Seinfeld this weekend. Why are we talking about Seinfeld? Because this week is the anniversary of, I think, the final episode. Is that right? That is correct. The final episode aired on May 14th, 1998. It was a little over an hour, and it was a big deal when that happened. Now, I have to say, I I watched it. I remember I was in high school. Did you watch the Seinfeld finale? Um, I believe I did. My dad was a big Seinfeld fan, and I think we did end up watching it. I wouldn't be surprised, because more than 76 million people watch the Seinfeld finale. Wow, that's crazy. You don't, you don't get TV numbers like that anymore. People who are a little bit younger than us probably don't understand why this was such a big deal. Even though cable existed, you had your TBSs and your TNTs and your ESPNs, the, those stations didn't really have a lot of their own original content. So if you were watching sitcoms, if you were watching dramas, most likely you're watching on network TV. Because the cable networks, as I said, weren't producing a lot of original content, and a lot of their stuff was recycled, syndicated content that had previously aired on network. When Seinfeld had its season finale, and it was a top-rated show on TV for a long time, 76 million people watched... And uh, I was looking up some other stuff today, and like, if you wanted to buy a, a spot for a commercial during the finale, it was like a million dollars. Wow. So you're talking like Super Bowl-type numbers for this thing. While a lot of people watch Seinfeld, like I said, it was a top-rated show, even people who didn't normally watch Seinfeld watched the finale. They would have had to, because they didn't get 76 million viewers every week that you watch Seinfeld. So it was a cultural thing where it got so hyped and everything that even people who didn't watch Seinfeld tuned in to see what the big fuss was about. Yeah, they apparently felt compelled. I remember my uh, one of my teachers in school had never seen an episode of Seinfeld, and of course everybody wow. was talking about it. So she watched the finale, and she was like, "I don't, I don't see what the big deal was." <laughs> well, she didn't watch any of the other episodes, so some people will be kind and call it polarizing, but I think the general consensus is that most people were disappointed in the finale. I think there's a couple reasons for that. I don't think you could ever live up to the expectations and the hype. There are very few things that have build up, build up, build up. Everybody knew this was the last season of Seinfeld, so they actually had, you know, an episode countdown as they were moving down the line to the last few episodes of the season and and the last few episodes of the series, so couldn't live up to that hype. I also think there was a little bit of undercurrent, and we're not going to talk about the finale too much. We're really going to talk mostly about the Seinfeld show, but I think there was also an undercurrent of people didn't appreciate the fact that (laughs) when they watched that episode, it sort of made them realize that Jerry and George and Elaine and Kramer just weren't really very good people, you know, and you'd you'd kind of rooted for them and and watched (laughs) them for nine seasons, and then you kind of had to take a step back and go... They're just, they're just not nice folks in general, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I think that the producers meant for it to be like that. It was almost like the ultimate joke was that we had been watching these people and caring about these people and laughing at these people for nine years. And then it was like, ha <laughs> they're terrible people. They and don't... you got suckered <laughs> into watching them for nine seasons. And, and they don't care about... <laughs> Anybody. And so I I think I think that was something that people didn't appreciate. And then also Seinfeld was known, I mean, you just go down and tick down the list of episodes. Seinfeld was known for being a show about nothing, but also being a a high concept show. A a show that defied expectations and subverted expectations and 
really in that finale, basically, especially the second half of it, just sort of turned into a clip show mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of rehashing some of the best moments of Seinfeld and bringing back old characters and stuff like that. And while in some respects people could see it as a celebration of the show for bringing back all these characters, I think some people felt it was just sort of tired. And they, they had also had The Chronicle that had aired before it mm-hmm. that was kind of a, a, a review of the, the show and, and, and stuff. So I just don't think a lot of people reacted well to that. Yeah, a lot of people thought The Chronicle was better than the finale, to be honest. Well, I, I can tell you, and, and what we're talking about today is kind of our go-to favorite Seinfeld episodes or, or, or the ones that we most rewatch. And I'm not even sure we've maybe watched, and, and Anne and I, let me tell you, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but we've watched a lot of Seinfeld together. I don't think we've watched the finale together, but maybe once or twice. I, th- I think that's probably true because, you know, it's not because we don't necessarily like the finale. I think that, like you said, it's it's a culmination of, of so many characters coming back. It's just not, it doesn't really capture that Seinfeld magic that like an episode did, you know? I don't know what it is about the finale. Well, and and it also doesn't help that Anne and I tend to watch, like I said, a lot of Seinfeld. We like to watch it sort of in bite-sized pieces. 22-minute episode, get it in, get it out. We don't watch a lot of the two-parters, even though we'll watch multiple episodes. I know that sounds Mm -hmm. weird, but we don't usually watch a lot of the 45-minute episodes or the two-parters. Well, because nowadays when you have a show that's like 45 minutes long and takes up a whole hour, you know, it's kind of nice sometimes when you want to relax and you just want to lay down and watch a little bit of Seinfeld, you know, after a day's work or you're like, oh, it's like really late. Let's do something together. Let's watch an episode of Seinfeld. It's only like 20 minutes, you know. So that's kind of one of the reasons we get into Seinfeld. Not only is it a great show, extremely funny, and we laugh hysterically whenever we say a line to each other from the show and only we get it because, let's face it, there are a lot of people out there that are and are not our age that don't understand Seinfeld, don't ref, you know, get the Seinfeld references. I've probably met only two or three people in my whole life besides you that, and maybe my dad that really get, you know, a Seinfeld reference when I say it. So. And well, things are a lot different. I mean, when I went to college, uh, most people had seen Seinfeld. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you could reference Seinfeld. People would know it. Uh, One of my roommates, we could basically just have conversations and I can do this with my brother too. And you where (laughs) it's just Seinfeld. Back yep. and forth. Just lines from the show and, and situations from the show back and forth. Seinfeld is one of our go-to shows. And it's, it's had, actually had a very big influence on me from a practical standpoint. And that we like to watch Seinfeld so much that we would then debate which season of which episode, you know, which season was this episode in. And I've got all the box sets. And I think there's eight volumes because season one and two were shorter and they're in one set together. I really got tired of us trying to remember which episodes fell into which seasons and which disc, because each set has four discs with multiple episodes on each disc, <laughs> which episodes were on which disc and which season it was. Oh, it's awful. It's I a went, nightmare. I went and I digitized the entire Seinfeld it library. It took you forever. It took a while. Um, you know, because you've got to set the files, you got to encode them, you got to rename them. But I, I said give you a little round of applause. <laughs> I, I set up Yay! I set up a Plex Media server primarily because we watched so much Seinfeld that it was worth 
the time and effort Seinfeld to do that. Seinfeld probably takes up most of our plex. The only, we didn't do the first season of Seinfeld because it's only a couple of episodes and none of them are, are great. And they're not standout ones. They're not standout ones. Um, you really don't get into standout episodes until season two. So that's kind of where we start and where we watch a lot of our episodes. Now, there were 180 episodes of Seinfeld, and we were just kind of talking the other day, and, and so I was sitting down this afternoon and trying to get the, the show notes together because, yes, we do do show notes sometimes for this program. I came up with a list of about 40 episodes that we frequently watch, and we can't watch... We can't talk, well, we probably could talk about 40 episodes of Seinfeld, but that's, uh, even what we're trying to do here is a little <laughs> ambitious, because we kind of took our first, I, I kind of picked 10 episodes that, that I think that we watch a lot, and you picked 10 episodes that you think we watch a lot, or that we mm-hmm. both really like, or that have some of our favorite moments. So, and these are in no particular order. Yeah, no, and, and you know, this is... This is us talking about our favorite episodes. These aren't the ten best or the most influential episodes of the program. I, I mean, for example, people always, almost always cite the contest as oh, yeah. a quintessential Seinfeld episode. Now, I understand why that is, but personally, watching that episode doesn't do much for me. I, I think it's funny and, and it's entertaining, but there are a lot of other Seinfeld episodes that I would rather watch above the contest. It doesn't even really make my, you know, make the cut for anything. I like it, but I think it is uh, more in the vein of what you would see on TV today. It has a little bit more of a, a streamline. It's not as funny of a plot line. I mean, yes, it has some funny moments, but it's not something where, you know, in the, a typical episode, you'd have George and Elaine and Jerry and Kramer, and there's probably two or three different plot threads. And they all kind of weave together, and then they end up in the end playing off of each other or somehow coming together in a way. Whereas in the contest, they're all together in one plot line. It is just, I mean, it's like I said, it's funny in some ways, but in other ways, it's kind of just, like I said, streamlined. And you just don't get the, I don't know, the it's not as fun. Well, and, and and a lot of, a lot of people pick that episode just because they they feel like they pushed the boundaries so uh, far well, back with, then, with the subject yes. matter, which is I mean you, you really can't argue with that. But just because that's the case and everybody cites it as an influential great episode of Seinfeld doesn't mean that it's one that I enjoy watching yeah. on a week in and week out basis. Yeah, but, but I mean, master of your domain. I mean, you really can't. <laughs> that, that that is funny. I, there is no doubt about that. <laughs> I just love it when they look at each other and they go. But are you still master of your domain? <laughs> and I, I do love it when, when Kramer comes in and he slams the money down. And he's like, I'm out! You know, that, <laughs> so, again, they're, they're really, I mean, even looking, I went through and looked at the episode listings of every season from season two on to the season nine and just kind of wrote down episodes that really stood out to me. And there's usually something really funny and something really good to say about almost every episode. And most of them involve Kramer. Of the show. Well, yeah. And a lot of them do involve Kramer. He's the best. I love him. I'm trying to think. How, how should we sh- do this? Should we just go through my top ten and then, like, your ten? Or should I go through my first five and then your first five and, and mix it up? I think we could go through your ten and then my okay. ten. Okay. So we'll go through through my ten. And one that, that I like a lot is The Library. <laughs> yes. And that that's from season three. Yes. And it involves basically this plot line, which 
Jerry had, had loaned George a book back when they were in high school, but then the library comes and says, years later, you never returned your book, and Jerry's certain that he returned the book. You know, as it turns out, he didn't. And, and, and you get that great flashback of him and Jerry, like, back in the 70s. Is it the 60s or 70s? And they've got, like, this serious... George has, like, an afro. Yeah, he's got frizz. <laughs> What was it? Tropic of Cancer was the name of the book? Well, I, I believe Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn were both involved okay, yes. in, in the episode. Okay. And Jerry had thought that he had returned uh, the one book, but it turned out that he had returned the other book and had loaned the other one to George. Ah. And and because they're both Tropic of Sea, I, I always get them mixed up as to, to which one is, is yeah. which in the plot line. But I, I think it's Tropic of Cancer that he had loaned to George. And, of course, George had, like, this abusive gym teacher yeah you know who always teased him and made fun of him and would give him like atomic wedgies and stuff and always can't called, stand you can't stand you <laughs> can't stand you so you know those are some highlights from that episode but really the, the thing that makes the library for me yes is mr bookman inspector bookman inspector bookman i have an aunt who's a librarian and i think that if she was ever a special agent in charge of finding books, she would be an excellent one because Inspector Bookman is like, he's so great because it's a very menial task, but he takes it so seriously. Oh, absolutely. And that's just, I don't know how he doesn't laugh because people, I mean, I don't know how people did scenes with him and not laugh because he is really like on it. Like he is just so into that character. I, I just love the the character actor in there that they, they got to do that. And like you said, he just, he plays it so straight. Like, this is the most important investigation that has ever been undertaken yeah. in law enforcement. Forget the ever. JFK assassination. Right. Forget all that you know. Forget aliens at Roswell. This is it, you know. This and, is it. And so we, we would be remiss to mention Inspector Bookman without playing some of his best quips. You got any coffee? Coffee? Yeah, coffee. No, I don't drink coffee. Yeah, you don't drink coffee? How about instant coffee? No, I don't have... You don't have any instant coffee? Well, I don't normally... Who doesn't have instant coffee? I don't. You buy a jar of Folgers crystals, you put it in a cupboard, you forget about it. And later on, when you need it, it's there. It lasts forever. It's freeze-dried. Freeze-dried crystals. Really? I'll have to remember that. You took this book out in 1971. Yes, and I returned it in 1971. Yeah, 71. That was my first year on the job. Bad year for libraries. Bad year for America. Hippies burning library cards. Abby Huffman telling everybody to steal books. I don't judge a man by the length of his hair or the kind of music he listens to. Rock was never my bag. But you put on a pair of shoes when you walk into the New York Public Library, fella. You're a comedian. You make people laugh. I try. You think this is all a big joke, don't you? No, I don't. I saw you on TV once. I remembered your name from my list. I looked it up. Sure enough, it checked out. You think because you're a celebrity that somehow the law doesn't apply to you, that you're above the law? Certainly not. Well, let me tell you something funny, boy. <laughs> you know that little stamp, the one that says New York Public Library? Well, that may not mean anything to you, but that means a lot to me. One whole hell of a lot. Maybe we can live without libraries, people like you and me. Maybe. Sure, we're too old to change the world. But what about that kid sitting down, opening a book right now in a branch of the local library and finding drawings of peepees and wee-wees? <laughs> cat in the hat and the five Chinese brothers. Doesn't he deserve better? Look, if you think this is about overdue fines and missing books, 
You better think again. This is about that kid's right to read a book without getting his mind warped. Or maybe that turns you on, Seinfeld. Maybe that's how you get your kicks. You and your good time buddies. Well, I got a flash for you, Joy Boy. Party time is over. So, so basically for me, uh, the library, which is a, is a really good episode and has some other things going on, but for me, it's just Inspector Bookman <laughs> He's great. makes that episode for me. Now, another one, and, and you'll notice, and, and it's a little bit, your, your list is a little bit uh, more even than mine as far as the seasons go. I pull heavily from seasons seven, eight, and nine. Yes. Uh, I watched a lot of Seinfeld. We didn't really start watching Seinfeld until those later seasons in our household. And so we had seen the other episodes, not in first run, but in, through syndication. So a lot of those later episodes kind of stuck with me some more. So if you're like, well, where's this episode or where that, where's that episode? Well, it's just that when we're talking about the ones that we watch the most or that we talk about the most, for me, they tend to come from the later seasons. So I have that one episode there from season three of the library, and then it, we, I go to season six with the Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy likes Elaine. <laughs> now, it, it's a great episode because they, they've got this guy, Jimmy, and he refers to himself in the third person the whole time. He's a really good athlete, and George is going to try to get him to help sell these athletic training shoes. I don't know what the heck was going on with those shoes. I don't think I could wear those. They're they're weird. Well, I mean, those 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 things exist. I'm sure you have really? seen them. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I've Those I types of shoes uh, exist. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, Bob Knight was an endorser of a very similar type of shoe. Hmm. Uh, they are supposed to, uh, you know, keep you on your toes and help improve your foot speed and your leaping ability, especially. To help your, your vertical leap. Um, how that actually works, I, I couldn't tell you. But... Uh, you know, <laughs> but if you do get the wrong person wearing them, they are a bit of a clodhopper, and that brings us to Kramer's part of the well, story. Well, yes, and Kramer, George had uh, tried to sell these shoes with Jimmy, and then he <laughs> failed in this. He was supposed to bring in Jimmy, who could jump really high, and they were kind of selling like a footlocker, and then George had to try to show off his vertical leap, which was not very impressive. Oh, it was terrible. Kramer ended up with this pair of shoes, <laughs> and he had gone to the dentist. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't talk very well. His speech was very slurred, and then he's wearing these these clodhopper shoes around the that city. Not using correctly. Not really using them correctly. <laughs> he's just walking around the city in these things, <laughs> and uh, he gets into the, this cab with this guy, and then he, you know, Kramer's guy talking like this. So the guy starts to think Kramer's mentally challenged. Yes. And so it turns out this guy's like a, a big wig at some like, you know, mental health. Uh, group or something like that and they're putting on this gala and Mel Torme is going to be there oh my god so they they invite Kramer as a special guest and I, I just love all of the situational humor that comes in the taxi cab with that guy <laughs> and Kramer where every line you know you you could definitely take it Kramer's just answering things honestly but definitely you could see where this guy looks at his shoes he looks at the way he's dressed he's looks at the way he talks you could definitely see where this guy thinks that Kramer's a little mentally challenged. Yes. My name is Arnold Deansfry. What is your name? Hey, Cosmo Kramer. It's nice to meet you. Very nice to meet yeah. you, Cosmo. Are you uh, heading home? Yeah, heading home. <laughs> Good for you. 
situational stuff because the first time Kramer had uh, gone to the dentist he had a cavity filled or something like that so they'd Novocaine him up and so that's why he's talking in slurred speech and he's dribbling water out of his mouth which then Jimmy trips over the water sprains his ankle that is why he is not able to help George sell these shoes later in the episode Kramer meets Jimmy Jimmy's really ticked off at Kramer and he punches Kramer right before the, the gala Yes. And so, again, because Kramer got punched in the mouth, he doesn't talk right. So he's able to sort of masquerade as this mentally challenged person again. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's it's so funny. Oh, and then Mel Torme starts singing to him at the end. Yes. And the thing about, it, it's a really good episode all the way around. But what's really funny is that the Jimmy character talking about himself in the third person is is a gag that continues throughout the rest of the series. Yes. You know, you'll, you'll hear George say, George is getting frustrated, or George likes his chicken yes. spicy. So you'll, you'll hear things like that that are callbacks to that episode. Yeah. Now, next up for me is The Secret Code. <laughs> yes! From season oh seven. That, that was an interesting... Okay, we don't get to see George and Jay Peterman together no, very No, often. no, no, no. It, it, it's a situation that wouldn't... You, they had to contrive it, basically, yes. to make it happen in the because episode. Because of all the people that Jay Peterman, you wouldn't expect him to, like, really have good comic timing with, is George Costanza. You wouldn't really see that happening. Right, and, and Elaine would be the last person who would want to introduce George yes. to anybody <laughs> in her social circle or work circle. But this, even if it's Jay Peterman, who even. she kind of has an interesting relationship with, but... I I love them together. They are so funny. And they play so well together. And I gotta tell you, I, I can't remember the guy that plays Jay. He is... John O'Hurley. He is just... <laughs> I love I don't know how that man does what he does, but he is hysterical. I mean, how does he just not lose it with some of the stuff he's got to say? Every, I mean, every, every line magic. reading from that guy, it, like you said, it's magical. It's I, magic. I love Peterman. He's probably my one of my favorite supporting characters. Yeah. You know, recurring guys in there. And but I love the line in this one where he's like, It's me, Mama. Chipupko. Or whatever <laughs> it was. Chipupko. We'll, we'll, we'll play the clip. We'll play the clip for you here. It's even better. Mama. It's me, Jacopo. I'm here for you, Mama. But the, the, the 
episode revolves around George's bank card and how he doesn't want to share his code word with anybody. Especially his fiance. Especially his fiance, which causes some friction. And it's Bosco, the the chocolate syrup. I've never heard of Bosco until uh, yeah. Seinfeld. Well, so. that's that's a lot of stuff. I mean, I you know, I there's that one part where Kramer's chasing George out of the apartment, trying to get him to give him his password. Yours is a sweet tooth. <laughs> oh, you may stray, but you'll always return to your dark master, the cocoa bean. <laughs> the purest syrup nectar can satisfy you. I gotta go. If you could, you'd guzzle it by the gallon. Ovaltine! Hershey's! Shut up! Those are things I've heard of. Bosco, not something that I had heard of up until Seinfeld. Mm -mm. And then up until, of course, that would have been on the dawn of the big-time internet age, then you could, you know, look stuff up and find out that Bosco's a thing. But I haven't really looked it up, but I'm I'm assuming maybe it was more popular out, out east. Maybe. Than it was here in the Midwest. It's possible. I mean, we heard of Hershey's chocolate syrup and Ovaltine and Nestle's Quick and stuff like that. Well, it's just like the Drake's coffee cake. Yeah. I, I don't really, I'm not very familiar with Drake's coffee. I love coffee cake, but right. I don't know anything about that. So. Yeah, and, and so that's something that must be a regional type of thing. So, you know, and then there are things that they do, you know, the Snapple. People have heard of Snapple and... and Various cereals and such that Jerry has had, and you, they used a lot of real products in the show. Yeah. But uh, those two, yeah, Drake's Coffee Cake and and Bosco seem to be a little bit more regionalized, um, whereas we didn't see them here in the Midwest. So we're like, what are yeah. they really talking about? But anyway, George's code word is Bosco. He won't <laughs> share it with anybody. George tries to lie his way out of hanging out with Peterman, and it never works. And so he ends up going with Peterman to visit Peterman's mother, who is gravely ill. Peterman leaves the room for a second, and George, who doesn't want to, pretends like he doesn't want anybody to know his code word, but is also desperate to tell somebody the code word to his bank card, <laughs> shares Bosco with Peterman's mother. And she's been asleep this whole time, and then all of a sudden, she wakes up, and she just starts repeating, Bosco! Bosco! And then she dies. And <laughs> Peterman can't figure out for the life of him what Bosco means because he has no context for why is she saying Bosco. And finally, George does have to surrender his code word because this guy's trapped in an ATM. And <laughs> George is like, I don't have my bait card. And they're like, George, anyone can see you're obviously lying, you know. This <laughs> <laughs> is love, Peterman. So, you know, George hands over his card and gives the code word. And one of my favorite things in that episode is at the end where they're talking about one of the products in the Jay Peterman's catalog is the rogue's wallet. It's where he kept his card, his dirty little secret. Short, devious, balding. His name was Costanza. He killed my mother. I love the way that And ends. I love that Jay Peterman thinks that Bosco is the name of, like, his mama's Latin lover or something. <laughs> That was the best. That was good. And I'm like, oh, please. I don't want to know this information. And, and uh, one of the subplots of that episode is Kramer trying to rewrite the the truck routes for the New York Fire Department. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the guy's like, everybody comes in here and thinks they know better than we do how to do our jobs. But, you know, you don't know Kramer. It's a lot harder than you think it is. And then Kramer gets to his chance to, to ride in the 
the ladder truck because he knocks out one of the guys. It's just and he fails miserably. It, it just creates a big mess in, oh, in great Kramer fashion. We'll stick with season seven for the Soup Nazi, which you know we haven't watched the Soup Nazi in a little while. It's it's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, obviously, I love the Soup Nazi stuff. Uh, you know, the no soup for you and how they're supposed to go through the line a certain way. And probably my favorite visual sight gag in that whole episode is. Newman going in and ordering and just being very careful and measured because we know those are things Newman never is, yes. but he is willing to toe that line so that he can have the soup from the soup Nazi. Uh, that's the Schmoopy episode where, you know, Jerry and his girlfriend always call each other Schmoopy and it, Schmoopy. And it annoys Elaine and it annoys George. But really, thinking back to it, my favorite part of that episode is that Elaine gets this armoire... <gasps> Oh my gosh, yes. And she has Kramer guard it for her. Yes. And these guys come up and they just take the armoire. Look at this. It's an antique. It's all handmade and I love the inlay. Yes, yes, me too. I, it's gorgeous, completely. Pick it up. No, no, pick it up from the bottom over wait, there. Wait, 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 what are you doing? Huh? What does it look like we're doing? We're taking this. You can't take this. This belongs to a friend of mine. Look, you want to get hurt? Huh? I don't think you want to get hurt, because if you want to get hurt, I can hurt you. Now just back off. Just pick it up. What is this, huh? You have some kind of product here? What is it you are not understanding? We're taking the armor, and that's all there is to it, okay? Kramer calls them a couple of street toughs, but they're just this couple of gay guys who are really love the armoire and i love that they do the callback later episode a later episode with the aids walk oh yes when oh yeah kramer... who doesn't want to wear the ribbon <laughs> kramer doesn't want to wear the aids ribbon i don't know if it like cramps his style or he's like yeah i'm good you know i'm doing the aids walk what more do you want right from me? yeah that's kramer's but i philosophy. love it because they're like hey he doesn't want to wear the ribbon, and then the guy turns around and <laughs> Who you realize doesn't want to wear the ribbon? <laughs> you realize it's the street tough. <laughs> the street which tough. I think it's hilarious that these two fabulously gay men in fanny packs <laughs> get to come and they like basically scare the crap out of Kramer into giving him the arm. Yeah, he calls them street toughs. Meanwhile, the one guy's looking at it, talking about how gorgeous the the inlay is on the armoire. It's just. Oh, it's funny. It, it, it's favorite, my favorite part of that. Of course, then Kramer relates the story of how somebody stole his armoire. The soup Nazi gives him one. He gives it to Elaine. And then she goes, because they had, of course, been antagonistic. She and the soup Nazi. She got banned from the store. Very good. You know something? No soup for you. Come back. One year. Next. Go. She was Elaine. Well, because she was Elaine, she wouldn't follow... The yeah. procedure, even though she was handily warned about, you know, if you want the soup, it's really good, but you gotta, you gotta obey the rules and go, you know, go buy it. So she was going over there to thank him for giving, you know, the, the chest to, to Kramer. And then he's like, you know, if I would have known it was for you, I would have smashed it to pieces. And then she finds uh, in, in one of the drawers are, are all the soup Nazis recipes. Yes. And she runs him. And I always thought that was a little bit on the vindictive side. It was, but it was typical for Elaine. It was typical Elaine. But, I mean, come on. Who doesn't love the Soup Nazi? I mean, that is, that's a great episode. You're through, Soup Nazi. Next! <laughs> now we go on to season eight, which is one that we just watched the other day, which is The Package. Yes. Which Good is uh, a great episode. There's a very famous photo of <laughs> 
George Costanza, sexy George Costanza. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's, it's really... It's a picture that I try to get out of my mind every time, but then we end up watching the episode, yeah. and then it brings it back. And... I have a few questions of my own. <laughs> I just... I, because oh. what, what happens is, is George thinks, and it's all a mistake, he thinks that this photo store girl is flirting with him, which she is flirting with him, but she's not, like, inserting pictures into his stuff. Which he thinks she is. But he thinks that she is. She misplaced the photo. So, you know, Kramer, of course... Decides to tell George, you know, encourages George that, no, 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 just don't go over there and say, hey, yeah, well, I like you, you know. Um, you need to do a, the timeless art of seduction. You need to participate the in the dance. of love. And so he convinces, <laughs> he convinces George to do, like, this racy photo spread. Oh, my gosh. When he's, <laughs> when he's got that camera, I love how George is like, you don't have your own camera? And he's like, uh. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this was the same photographer, Kramer, who had put Elaine's Christmas card out a couple years ago. Oh, with the and, with, with, and her nipple was exposed. <laughs> and, but Elaine was like, well, you know, except for that, he was very good, very professional. It was tasteful. <laughs> very tasteful. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, I just, I love that part where Jerry's entering his apartment, and they're in the middle of that photo session, and Kramer's like yelling, I, I'm a lover boy, you know, and... and You're an animal! Oh, you're an animal! Oh my gosh. That's, come on, George, that's it. Come on, give it to me. Come on, work it, work it. Oh, yeah, own it, own it. Yeah, be a man, be a man. Lover boy, you are a lover boy. Oh, yeah. This can't miss. One of the subplots of that is that Jerry's stereo doesn't work, and so he thinks it's a piece of junk and really wants to get rid of it, but it's out of warranty. So Kramer's like, oh, I can fix this. In typical Kramer fashion, he butts in. So he, you know, he destroys Jerry's stereo, insures it for a bunch of money, and then sends it through the post office. Because they can write it off. Because they're the ones who write it. I love, oh, that's I great. love the, we'll just You play don't it. even know what a write-off <laughs> is. But they do. And they're the ones writing it off. Oh, I, just, I love it so much. You can't get a refund. Your warranty expired two years ago. So we're going to make the post office pay for my new stereo now? It's a write-off for them. How is it a write-off? They just write it off. <laughs> write it off what? Jerry, all these big companies, they write off everything. You don't even know what a write-off is. Do you? No, I don't. But they do. And they're the ones writing it off. And so anyway, uh, Jerry gets pinched for mail fraud. And during the investigation, Newman goes by this, this photo store where George has been, and they're developing a photo of Jerry in front of the stereo. And so that's supposed to be proof of uh, mail fraud. And of course, Newman goes off about how he's finally caught Seinfeld, this vile creature, you know. Whoa. And, um, but <laughs> then they show off those pictures of George. Oh my gosh. All we can think of is that you're involved in some sort of ill-conceived mail-order pornography ring. <laughs> and then they had the guy from the photo store. <laughs> oh, the incredulous, oh. oh my god, from George. He's like, I have a few questions of my own. <laughs> oh man, that oh. one, that... That whole sequence. You're crying. Yeah, that whole sequence just <laughs> I, gets me laughing every time. I love, I love that episode so oh much. Oh my gosh. And then the ne one of the next ones is my favorite. 
The Muffin Tops. Oh, the Muffin Tops, another season top eight. Top of the Muffin to you. <laughs> but it's not Top of the Muffin to you, but it is. Mr. Lippman decides, uh, Elaine's former boss decides that he's going to start a muffin store, but he's only selling the Muffin Tops. But and that's an idea that Elaine had. Right. And the problem is he's only making the Muffin Tops. And so they don't taste right. So she finally tells him, you know, you make the whole muffin and then you pop the top. And then you dump the stump. And so they <laughs> end up giving the stumps off to this homeless shelter. <laughs> and that doesn't go well. Because this big, awesome black lady <laughs> named Rebecca De Mornay <laughs> decides that she's going to wander in and she gives them what for. I'm Rebecca De Mornay from the homeless shelter. Oh, hi. Are you the ones leaving those muffin pieces behind our shelter? You've been enjoying them? They're just stumps. Well, they're, they're, they're perfectly edible. Oh, so you just assume that the homeless will eat them? They'll eat anything? No, no, no we no, just no. started. I know it's a thought. They don't have homes. They don't have jobs. What do they need the top of a muffin for? They're lucky to get the stumps. If the homeless don't like them, the homeless don't have to eat them. The homeless okay? don't like them. Fine. We've never gotten so many complaints. Every two minutes, where's the top of this muffin? Who ate the rest of this? We were just trying to help. Why don't you just drop off some chicken skins and lobster shells? I think they're fine. That is then dovetailed into Kramer's um, subplot in this, which is the, the, the Jay Peterman reality tour. Because oh, Lord, yes. at one point, That's Jay great. Peterman had bought a bunch of stories from Kramer to use in his, in his autobiography. Yeah. And so Kramer wants the stories back, but he can't really do it. So he's going to take everybody on the Jay Peterman reality tour, which consists of a school bus and a pizza bagel or. A donut, pizza donut. It's a pizza bagel and point, like a minute, minute, snick, uh, miniature yeah. candy bar. Yep. Jerry ends up on the bus with his girlfriend in this episode, and he's like, I didn't think he could really cre recreate the experience of actually knowing him, but this is actually pretty close. <laughs> it's always like, and he's got this this like banjo music that he plays during oh, it's the bad. <laughs> but they're they're also trying to find a place like the the d local dumpsters won't take the muffin tops. Yeah, because he had told Elaine that he could dump the stumps for her, right, basically. Right, And he's having a heck of a time. Because and everybody questions what they are and what happened to the top of the muffins. Yes, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> but eventually, you know, they do figure out a way to get rid of the muffin tops, and that's where the glory of Newman comes in. <laughs> the cleaner. The cleaner. I love it when she says, I know somebody. He's a cleaner. And then he shows up in like a rented Ferrari or whatever it was. And he walks in and he's like, he looks like a mobster. And he's like, all right, where are we going? And so he's like, I think, I think that's a pull from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that, that scene sort of ripped out of that, except it's absurd. And then, of course, he opens up his case and he's got all these bottles of milk. And he starts eating the stumps, drinking oh, the milk to, to get rid of all of them. Of course, Newman can get rid of, you know... Eight trash bags full of muffin oh, stumps. I believe it. He's the only guy who could do it. And season eight again, we stick with the little Jerry, which is one that we watch <laughs> rewatch a lot. Oh, I love the little Jerry. Oh my gosh, the bouncing of the clown check. Jerry bounces a check at this little bodega near his house. I mean, probably went in to buy like twenty bucks worth of stuff. Writes a check from like starter checks that have clowns on them, and Marcelino 
you know, he's Hispanic, and so a lot of times what he'll do is he will, sort of like the Amish, they post the check so that everybody knows, you know, it's a humiliating thing. Yep, you're on the wall of shame. Yes. Well, Jerry, you know, doesn't realize what a big deal this is until everybody starts telling him, hey, did you know that you bounced a clown check at the <laughs> bodega? <laughs> it's like, or like, uh, some idiot bounced a clown check. <laughs> That's one of the best. Yeah, when a lady oh. just comes into the diner and she's like, did you guys see now the bodega somebody bounced the clown check? And then he goes to tell Marcelino, hey, I'll pay you the money plus extra for your trouble. Marcelino's like, I'm not taking down the check. The people like the clowns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marcelino. And of course, Marcelino uh, is involved in chicken fighting. Right. Or rooster fighting, I should Cock say. Cockfight. Cockfight. Because little Jerry was born to cockfight, cockfight. <laughs> you do it better than I do. But uh, apparently Kramer, okay, and I completely identify with this. Kramer is tired of eating sweatshop sweat eggs. Sweatshop eggs, a phrase that you use often. I do, because I am one of those people. I know I'm one of those weirdos. Everybody can just, you know, hate me if they want to. But I'm one of those weirdos that thinks that there really is a taste difference between... Uh, just a regular mass-produced farm mass-produced farm egg, grade A farm egg, and an organic, cage-free, farm-fresh egg from a chicken. Kramer decides, I wouldn't go this far. No, no. But Kramer decides that he wants to basically get his own chicken. And as Jerry finds out by being woken up one morning by this growing noise (laughs) he finds out that little jerry who apparently kramer tells him i named my chicken after you you know (laughs) of course you would kramer um he names the little chicken quote unquote little jerry well turns out the chicken is a rooster (laughs) and marcelino witnesses the rooster hold his own in a fight with a dog on the street and decides to tell kramer hey kramer you want to you know, get into the cockfight. And if you win, then we'll take, you know, I'll take the check down. Well, your friend's check down. Well, Kramer is convinced that it's basically ultimate fighting with these little <laughs> roosters with like little helmets and gloves, which I think would be hysterical oh, to watch. Be cute. But you're never going to get no. roosters to no, do that. No, no, no. Unless they're completely trained and they actually somehow grow another set of limbs that are not on the ground. And so it's, you know, it's just, it's just so ridiculous. But of course, Jerry gets into training this rooster and it just becomes this whole big thing. He's looking good, huh, Jerry? Yeah. I think that's enough for today. (laughs) Little Jerry is a lean, mean pecking machine. What are you doing with that? I'm just going to heat this up. Make a little hot tub for little Jerry. Hey, Kramer. Be careful. Hey, guess what? Little Jerry ran from here to Newman's in under 30 seconds. Is that good? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I think it's one of the best things. And then they want little Jerry to take a dive. Like, to to go down a certain round. And he's like, first of all, I don't think you can make a rooster throw a fight. (laughs) Or my favorite is... uh, You're just upset because little Jerry's doing more with your name than you ever will. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We we 
just did that yesterday. Oh I don't even God. remember why we were doing it. Now, just because Jerry Seinfeld is a has-been, don't make little Jerry Seinfeld than ever was. Kramer, give me that booster. Never! You hate him because he's doing more with your name than you ever will! We'll move on to season nine, and the entire premise of this episode is so absurd. The Merv Griffin Show. They find uh, the pieces of the Merv Griffin set, like, in this dumpster, and so they haul it up to Kramer's apartment, and they turn, and Kramer turns his life into a talk show. Basically, you walk in the door of his apartment, and you are on the Merv Griffin Show. Not only are there commercial breaks, <laughs> but there's also music. And if you come to visit, you sit in the chair closest to Merv, a.k.a. Kramer, and then when someone else comes, you get shoved down the line <laughs> like on a real talk show. It is the greatest. Oh, oh it's my gosh. One, one of my all-time favorites. And the, the subplot in that episode is that George, or, uh, Jerry has a girlfriend who has this great vintage toy collection. Oh, yeah. And he wants to play with it, but she doesn't want anybody to touch the toys, so they keep finding ways to like knock her out, like whether it's pain pills or wine or feeding her big meals of turkey. One time they're going to make her watch like George's home videos that she'll fall asleep and then you know they can play with gi joe and the mattel football and all that stuff and then they they bring her onto the show in kramer's apartment and you know they have a little confrontation there it doesn't go well because unlike the original merv griffin show kramer decides that edgy format he needs an edgy <laughs> format so of course surprise it's like maury where she like goes hey you know what are you doing playing with my toys we're done you know <laughs> But I think uh, one of the best is when you have that guy from Wild Kingdom on the Merv Griffin show. And basically one of the other subplots is that George, and this is something I reference quite all, often. All the time, all the time. Is uh, the deal. He has a deal. You know, we had a deal where he is convinced that humans and the birds and small animals of New York that live in the parks and the trees... I'll have this deal, this unspoken rule that, you know, if, you know, the humans don't bother them, they don't run in front of traffic and they don't poop on, you know, people. They just poop on the statues and, and all this. Well, apparently George feels like they are drawn to him and they're not honoring their part of the deal. So <laughs> after a couple of run-ins where he hits some pigeons and runs over some pigeons, <laughs> He actually runs over. Um, he actually runs over a squirrel, <laughs> and his girlfriend, completely horrified, oh yeah, makes him take the squirrel to the vet where they fly in some really tiny instruments, <laughs> and they have to do surgery on the squirrel so that he can walk again. And of course, George is. Now, financially and physically responsible for this squirrel, he's convinced once uh, Jim Fowler, that's his name. Yeah, Jim, Jim Fowler. Fowler. This... From Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Okay, so if he could see this squirrel, he'd immediately adopt him because that's what he would do, right? Well, turns out Jim Fowler has a hawk with him and they eat squirrels, you idiot, you know? <laughs> oh my God, that was, oh. And he's got this little squirrel in a baby carrier, which we're convinced we would do with Willie oh, if we ever. Oh, our, our turtle, Willie. Yeah, we would definitely take him around. He would be my service turtle. I would just put him in a little baby carrier and carry him around everywhere. I think he would like that. I think he would, honestly. But yeah, that's probably one of the best parts. I think trying to save the squirrel is pretty good. <laughs> 
But I love how everybody talks about how the set smells like trash. Like, everybody that comes in on the show goes, do you smell garbage? Because <laughs> he pulled it out of the dumpster, the set. Oh, my gosh. Oh, goodness, Kramer. So great. Uh, we stick uh, in season nine with one that we, we really literally just watched like two days ago, The Frogger. <laughs> um, I like that one because of Slippery Pete. And Whopper. <laughs> the Lopper. And, and, and I like that part. There, there's a serial killer, I guess, going around like cutting off people's heads. And so yes. they, they have had an internal debate in the police department, according to Kramer. And some of the names were <laughs> Hedzo and the, Den- the Denogonizer. <laughs> and if you're a history Son buff. of Dad. <laughs> and if you're a history buff, uh, one of the best uh, plot points is that Elaine who is basically Jones in for a cake fix after she uh, angers her coworkers who are basically buying a cake for everybody in the office. Having cake parties every or, day. Yeah, it's like a birthday or an anniversary or someone's leaving and she's like, this is a huge office. Someone's going to have cake like every day. Well, anyway, they basically cut her off because she's basically angered them. And so she's missing out on her four o'clock cake fix, as she calls it. So she goes into Peterman's office because he's one of those cool guys back in the 90s that actually had like a little mini fridge in his office. And instead of like champagne or caviar or just little snacks, you know, string cheese, because I love string cheese. I'm just going to say that. Um, Instead of having like little snacks in there, he's keeping (laughs) a cake, a piece of cake. From the wedding of King Edward VIII to Wallace Simpson. And he always, he says, a piece of cake from the wedding of Wallace Simpson to Edward VIII. <laughs> circa 1938. It's like, what, he paid like $29,000 Oh, for yeah, it? for this piece of cake. <laughs> that's been sitting in someone's basement for like, I don't know, 70, 80 years. A long time. Crazy. But anyway, she... She decides that she's going to have some of this cake. Well, she had a little bit of it, and she said, yeah, it was pretty good, you know. It it did the trick. Well, then she felt bad once she figured out that the cake was actually from an auction house and that it was worth $29,000. Just talking to Peterman, she finds this out, and she feels bad. So she goes back to even it out a little, so to speak, and starts eating more of it. Well, then she basically eats the whole piece of cake, which (laughs) all women can empathize, that that just sort of happens. We don't know how it happens. It just does. And so she decides she's going to go and get an Entenmann's, a piece of (laughs) Entenmann's cake, because obviously that's what it looks like. From, from Not from the grocery store. It's not in the grocery store, technically. They have a case at the end of the aisle, you know. So she gets this piece of cake, puts it in the box, just as the appraiser is coming in. <laughs> Elaine, excellent. I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, Erwin Lubeck. Oh, hello. Charmed. <laughs> All right. Brace yourself, Lubeck. You are about to be launched via pastry back to the wedding of one of the most dashing and romantic Nazi sympathizers of the entire British royal family. I guess I'll just... Oh, no, Elaine, stay. Lubeck here is the world's foremost appraiser of vintage pastry. (laughs) All right, Lubeck. How much is she worth? I'd say about (laughs) $219. $219? 
$219,000. Lou Beck, you glorious titwillow, you just made me a profit of $190,000. No. $2.19. It's Nintemans. Do they have a castle at Windsor? No, they have a display case at the end of the aisle. But I think the end is probably the best, and, and you should totally play that for them. Elaine, up until a moment ago, I was convinced that I was on the receiving end of one of the oldest baker's grift in the books. <laughs> the Intamin's Shimsham. <laughs> until I remembered the videotape surveillance system that I installed to catch other water using my latrine. But it also caught this. Mr. Peterman, I... I Elaine, I have a question for you. Is the item still with you um as far as i know do you know what happens to a butter base frosting after six decades in a poorly ventilated english basement uh i i guess i hadn't well really... i have a feeling what you are about to go through is punishment enough <laughs> dismissed and i'll round out my 10 with one of my all-time favorites is the strike from season nine and that's a an episode where the title's like what because it's the festivus episode that is probably what people would know it as is the festivus episode the festivus for the rest of us Festivus for the rest of us uh kramer had worked at this bagel place for a long time and then they went on strike and then the strike is over and he goes back to work and they're like yeah i think the other guy has got jobs like 12 years ago but kramer goes back he's making bagels we find out about the absurd Christmas replacement holiday called Festivus, which involves an aluminum pole and a feast and feats of strength. George hates it so much, but his dad's insisting that Festivus is part of his heritage. Oh, that's where he does the human fund. The human, yeah, that's right. He, he keeps getting, people keep giving him donation cards, so they've given a donation in his name to a charity. So George is upset by this, so he decides to create his own fake charity. Because he's cheap. Because he's cheap and pretend to give people money. It's called the Human Fund, and its tagline is money for people, which is pretty funny. His his boss, who is the worst, world's worst boss, um, oh, he's Mr. Horrible. Kruger, terrible. The big wigs at the company told him he needed to throw some money at a charity, so he decides they're going to give him a check to George for the Human Fund for a bunch of money. And, you know, George is... <laughs> I always like it. You know, he thinks he can be this great philanthropist. $20,000 from Kruger? You're not keeping this. Oh, no. Excuse me? I've been doing a lot of thinking. This might be my chance to start giving something back. You want to give something back, start with the $20,000. <laughs> I'm serious. You're going to start your own charity. I think I could be a philanthropist. A kick-ass philanthropist. <laughs> I would have all this money and, and people would love me. Then they would come to me and beg. And if I felt like it, I would help them out, and then they would owe me big time. <laughs> and then they, they have a big Festivus dinner, because Kramer gets really into Festivus. They have a big Festivus dinner. He sees Kruger, and Kruger looks at him, and he's like, oh, Dr. Van Nostren. And that's a callback to an episode where Kramer played this cancer doctor that was supposed to be doing a cancer yes. screening. And then the other subplot that we re reference quite a bit is Jerry's dating this girl who looks great in certain lights, and terrible in other lights. I know what you got, my friend. You got yourself a two-face. <laughs> like the Batman villain? <laughs> if that helps you. <laughs>
Yeah, she looks a little... She's... Wow, she is, like, majorly scary. Night and day in the bad lighting. And he doesn't want to go anywhere but the diner because, right, because that's where she has got good lighting good. there. She always looks nice there. Things get weird at the, the Festivus dinner, and she walks out because she's upset because... There's some mistaken identity with people thinking that Elaine is like Jerry's side girlfriend, which she's not. You know, his girlfriend, Jerry's girlfriend, storms out, and he goes and chases after her, and he's like, ah, comes right back in. Bad lighting on the porch. (laughs) (laughs) How did Mr. Kruger end up at Christmas dinner? Or Festivus dinner, I should say. Well, basically, George came clean about the human fun and how it doesn't exist. He tries to convince Kruger that he celebrates a different holiday called Festivus. And that's why he was, he wasn't cheap, or he wasn't being, you know, an ass he by felt, not, yeah. He felt bad uh, because he just couldn't give. Yeah, he because doesn't he, celebrate he, he doesn't Christmas. celebrate Christmas. And so, you know, but he, he doesn't really convince Mr. Kruger, so he's just like, well, you know, I guess I could invite, you know, I, I, you, you have to check it out for yourself. He gets Mr. Kruger to come to the Festivus dinner to try to cover his own butt, basically. And it ends with the feats of strength. Until you pin me, George, Festivus is not over. Oh, please, somebody stop this. Let's rumble! I think you can take him, Georgie. Come on, be sensible. Stop crying and fight your father. Ow! Ow, I got This is the best Festivus ever! And, of course, you cannot forget the airing of grievances. Welcome, newcomers. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're gonna hear about it. You, Kruger, my son tells me your company stinks. Oh, God. Why? You'll get yours in a minute. Kruger, you couldn't smooth a silk sheet if you had a hot date with a babe. I lost my train of thought. Goodness, we got really carried away. And I'm not going to put together a two-hour show this week, at least in one part. So we're going to pause right here, and we'll bring you back part two a little bit later, where we'll go through the ten episodes that Anne likes the most. But for now, thank you for listening to the Matt Adams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y, or email me at matt at mattadamswriter.com. I'll I'll forward your fan mail to Anne. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.